Well, about uh, 25 years ago-ish, uh, my wife Stephanie bought us a good vacuum cleaner. There was a door-to-door -door salesman, imagine that, and uh, sold us a really good vacuum cleaner, and it was much better than what we had, and, and it worked really well, and what impressed me most is it came with like this repair and upkeep plan, and every year, a few years, we could take it in, and they do things, and came with filter bags and the whole deal. It was a good deal. And uh, it served us very well, but over time, you know, as things go, it started to not work as well, and, and I would, you know, pick away at it, a uh, couple repairs, and, and eventually, about a couple years ago, um, I had managed to hold this thing together with a lot of duct tape. And Stephanie said one day while we were cleaning that, you know, I can't even roll this. It, like, it won't go across the carpet because of all the duct tape and the power head's not working and stuff. And I said, great, let's load it up. I'll take it to the vacuum repair shop and we'll, we'll see what they can do for us. And she said, I'll come along. And I thought, that's weird. Sure, why don't you come along? And so we made the trip and got to the vacuum repair sh uh, shop I'd always gone to. And I went to the uh, you know, backside of the van to get all the Frankenstein parts, right? Because nothing would fit in the clips and it wasn't this tidy little thing anymore. And as soon as I got out of my door, she hopped out and went in. And I thought, wow, she's very excited to be at the vacuum store. And so I gathered up all the vacuum things and took it in. And when I got in, the, the shop owner and another customer and Stephanie were just staring at me. They were just staring at me. They just looked at me. I thought, that's weird. Mm, so I just said to the shopkeeper, I said, hey, I'm back again, and I've got this vacuum cleaner. Powerhead's not working great, and I've, you know, can we get a new hose, and this, and that, and the other. And he just, he just looked at me, and he said, no, actually, I, I don't think it's repairable. And I'm like, no, no. And I tried to convince him, as you do, right? Like, this is repairable. We can do this. He said, I'm really sorry, sir. We can't repair this. And the, the customer on the other side of the store is watching this kind of unfold. And he's got a little bit of a smirk. And then he took me over and showed me some vacuum cleaners with Stephanie and I and talked about how good it was. And 30 minutes later, we left the store with a brand new vacuum cleaner. And I left the old one behind. There are some men after my own heart. If you didn't hear that online, there was a groan, right? Groan, right? Let me fill you in on what I learned as I was paying. That little bit of a gap between Stephanie hopping out of the van and going in the store went something like this. She rushed in, closed the door, and said, My husband's coming in. He's got an old vacuum cleaner. It can't be repaired. I don't want it to be repaired. Tell him it can't be fixed. We'll buy a new one. Right? Oh, 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 yeah, oh, yeah. Some hand clapping. It works great. I, funny thing, I'm the vacuum guy at our house most of the time, and I love to listen to podcasts and vacuum and stuff like that. It's wonderful. I'm very thankful. Let me tell you why I'm telling you about this. What you value determines your behavior. My value of a good deal and fixing this thing up meant that I was going to that vacuum shop to get a good deal and to get it repaired and I didn't want to spend money. Stephanie's value of having a vacuum cleaner that worked and cleaned the house uh, trumped my value, but
but it determined her behavior as well. And in our This Is Church series over the next few weeks, we're going to look at our values as a church and where they come from biblically. And why is that important? Because if you go to any similarly sized, similar kind of ethos church in town or even just around Canada, you will find that each church is a little bit different. Why? Because they value some different things. And what we value determines the path we take to accomplish mission. It determines what we do. But more importantly, how we do it. Our values determine our behavior. They put some boundaries or some guardrails around what we do. So while all churches do similar things with worship and agent stage-based ministries and discipling and all of these things, we'll do it a little bit different here because of the values we believe God has placed in us based on our calling, who is here, who he's having us reach. And so values are really, really important. So would you just uh, pray with me as we look at the value of transformation this morning? Heavenly Father, I pray that as, as I teach, it would be your words and not mine. I pray that you would plant deep in our hearts from the youngest to the oldest the importance of walking a journey of transformation with you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died and rose again, that we might not be the same. And as a church family, we pray that everything we do would point to the reality of your death and resurrection power in us to transform what we can't so that we might be more like you and invite others to follow you too. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in the next few weeks we'll be looking at, uh, at some pieces of vision. Um, I, I want to uh, in, invite, uh, just kind of pause the message for a minute. Uh, our mission, vision, values, methods, and stuff, we've been looking at as uh, leadership for years and years, and over the past couple years, we've refined them a bit more, um, coming out of COVID and who we are, and it's a little bit different. So we've worked at a leadership level and with some different people from the congregation in several meetings and sifting, 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 sifting. Some of you have watched that and pay attention to that. So care at all. That's okay. But what I'm inviting any of you who would like to is into our next stage of our sifting. We have some wording and we have some ideas of where God, uh, how God wants us to implement that. But I'm really looking for some early adopters, some keeners, some people who are willing to sacrifice some time, energy, buy some resources, and spend some meetings together. So uh, if you're willing to sacrifice some things, you really want to learn more about this, help shape how we uh, do things and have some good dialogue and a lot of homework. Uh, it's not easy, and it's not for everyone, but it's good. And so just contact church office by October 1st, and we're going to start some things this fall already. So our value of transformation is worded like this, and it is uh, fluid. It's loosely held. We know the concepts. The wording needs a bit more. Transformation is the active work of the grace of God in our lives. We expect that as we are obedient to the teachings and the spirit of Jesus, we will become more and more like Jesus in our attitudes, behaviors, and characters. So it still needs a little bit of refining, but I believe God has continued to uh, draw me and draw us back to Colossians 3. We were there last week. We'll be there 
for a few more weeks yet. So if you've got your Bibles with you or your app, you can go to the Bible app, look up Country Hills Church, and you'll find all the scriptures as well as some discussion questions and devotionals for you to do throughout the week to help you grow on this. Colossians 3, verses 7 to 10 say this. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. And Paul has already given a list in the previous verses of some other things that we used to do or behaviors and attitudes that are a part of our life before uh, we're saved and redeemed by Jesus. Verse 9. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. So Paul's point here is that we have an old way of life, but in Christ there's a new way, and that we are in a process of becoming more like Jesus. And as we do, as we become more like Jesus and grow in our relationship with him, that we experience renewal day by day. And that's something we want. We want to be a renewed, spiritually, emotionally healthy people. There's two perspectives on transformation or change I tend to see in the church and in our church. The first is one of not good enough. And that would be something that I would uh, struggle with and have struggled with. When we think of um, growing in Jesus, we want to get all the things right. And so we strive and work very hard. And there is work to do to learn new behaviors, patterns, to set our life in order with what Jesus has. But when we strive in our own strength, we remove Jesus from the process, and we end up in the very thing that Jesus spoke against very strongly with the Pharisees and saying things like, you brood of vipers, or man, you strain at a gnat, you swallow a camel, you do all these legalistic religious things to try and become lovable, acceptable, honorable to God. But that's not the gospel at all. And so sometimes when we think about our own transformation, we tend to think, I'm not good enough. Now we're going to come back to that in a moment because we're not good enough on our own. We're not holy. We're not righteous. We can't save ourselves. We can't remove sin from ourselves. But when, when it comes to becoming like Jesus, sometimes we struggle with feeling like I'm not good enough. And we say stuck. We remove Jesus from it. The opposite is true as well where people say, not, I'm good enough. They just stop and they say, I'm good. You know, I'm doing the stuff of Christianity. I'm going to church, maybe in a small group. I'm giving a little. I think I'm cleaning up my language, my life a little bit. I keep my yard real nice. And, you know, I'm a moral, nice person. What more do you want from me? (laughs) Jesus, come on. And in that, we resist Jesus. We don't remove him. We just resist him. And we say, Jesus... Look at me. Is this not what you're talking about? I'm good. And so we have opportunities in teaching, opportunities in small group, opportunities in the few quiet times that we actually take with God for him to go and do a heart transformation deep within. And we say, I'm good. We have opportunity for others to pray for us or times of communion, and we just don't want to go deep. We don't want to learn to pray. We're good. I'm good. That's the opposite extreme. In fact, 
the most extreme of this is how people come to faith in the first place, believing that who I am, the patterns I have, how I identify myself, how I think of myself, who I say I am, from whatever I've gathered that from, is who I am, and Jesus should accept me as I am, celebrate who I am, and move on. So I come to Jesus telling him, this is who I am. I'm a complete work. Doesn't matter if my behavior, my thought, my identity is rooted somewhere else other than you. I'm good. Both of those are distortions of the gospel. Romans 12, 1-2 says this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, Give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. So in other words, give all that you are to God because of what he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice. There's a sacrifice. There's a giving up. The kind he will find acceptable. What's acceptable? When we lay our lives down. That's truly the way to worship him. Chrissy was praying that and leading that this morning. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. This is not behavioral modification camp 101 every Sunday online and in person and in small groups. We're not about behavior modification. But as God transforms us from the inside out, guess what? Our thoughts, our attitudes, our character change. Let him change the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will, which is good and it's pleasing and it's perfect. There's two main areas that God transforms. The one we might be used to, the other one we might not focus on as much as we ought. So let's go first of all, just us, as individuals. He gives us a new identity. And this one is a little bit difficult to understand because at the moment someone believes that Jesus is who the Bible says he is, who the Spirit of God is testifying who he is in our, in our hearts, and we receive forgiveness based on Jesus' death and resurrection. He makes us new. The very Spirit of God comes in, transforms us. We are made new. And so when we talk about transformation. We talk about the theological term is sanctification or the process of growth, of becoming like Jesus. It's a bit of a paradox and hard to understand because the truth is the moment of salvation, we are made new. The sinful nature, the sinful self, all the things that have caked onto the image and true identity God has created with us. That's what sin does. It distorts, it mars all the parts of ourselves that are wounded and broken, distort it, and we believe we are someone we're not. And at the moment of belief, sin is broken. But we still have these patterns and these beliefs about ourselves and the world who Jesus is, that need to be changed. Romans 3.10 says this, As the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. We can't come to Jesus thinking, I'm complete. I am who I am. Leave me alone. No one's righteous. No one's holy. We need the holiness and righteousness of a holy God to set us free from the sinful patterns, sinful nature that we are born with. Some of the stuff we don't even know. Romans 3.23, some of you will know this, for everyone has sinned and falls short of God's glory. Everyone's sinned and fallen short of his standard to save themselves. Fallen short of who God is in his very nature. So he 
gives us a new nature based on who he's created us to be in his image from the moment he dreamed us up. And sin ruined that. We are broken, sinful, distant, deceived, or lost. Romans 5.8, but God, but God, even though that's the way we are, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. So this whole idea of earning, becoming better, God, I've got to do better and better and better. What happens when we become more Christ-like is that we experience more of what God wants for us in our relationship with him, in our relationship with others, and we become more usable in God's purpose. But he doesn't love us more. He loves us because he loves us because he loves us. Because he's love. We can't earn that. We can't change that. But to come to faith in Jesus, we need to confess that I not only have a sinful nature, I'm broken and separated, that I have been party to that. And I've walked along sinful ways. I've done things that have broken me and others, separated me from God, separated me from others. Though we are not righteous, God sent his son, while we're still sinners, to do for us what we can't do. To die, to break the power of sin, to take the punishment of sin upon himself and be resurrected. The process of transformation in the new identity is the same thing. We say we follow Jesus for a reason, and following begins in the death and resurrection of our very nature, our very identity, who we see ourselves as. A few verses earlier in Colossians, Paul says this, For you died to this life. All the stuff you were clinging to, all the stuff you thought gave you life, all the stuff you thought was important. In order to truly follow Jesus, you died to this life, and your real life, it's hidden. It's hidden with Christ in God. It's it's protected. Your image-bearingness. God created humanity in his image. Who he planned you to be, who he knows you to be, who you truly are, is hidden in Christ and him. Sin has caked itself on and marred and done all this stuff to you, and he breaks that power. And the process of transformation in a new identity is learning to put these things aside and learning to walk and believe in new ways. Our old life, our old nature, our old ways are dead and gone. We have It has no power over us. From the moment you believe, you have the ability to follow God perfectly. But we're marred and we're broken. We need to learn. We're still in a sinful world with sinful results. And so, transformation needs to start with this understanding. I am new. But there's a second transformation that we don't focus on as much. And it has to do not with simply a new identity, but being adopted into a new family. We're welcomed into a new family. Do you know that when you believe, you don't have a heavenly father? You have what Jesus and Paul say in Aramaic, Abba. Abba is a informal word that means daddy or dad. It was so controversial. 
for a Jewish people who'd not even speak the name of God, Yahweh. They wouldn't even speak it because they recognized the holiness of God. To be welcomed into a relationship where we could say he's dad. To understand he's a dad who loves us that much. That he'd send his son. And he puts us in this new family of righteous and holy daughters and princesses and called and commissioned sons. And we have all this brokenness from how we grew up and who we are and who we understand ourselves as men and women. Princess and princess doesn't seem to fit. And looking at God and saying, Dad, seems irreverent and wrong. I wish I could take you through Romans 5 to 8. You need to read it straight through. But this morning, I'll just look at a few verses. Romans 8, 15 to 17. So because of this, so because of what Christ has done, so because he gives you his righteousness, so because he plants a new spirit in you, because there's no condemnation, God will convict you of sin and of ways he needs to change you and help you put aside the old ways. Learn how he sees you and walk in new new ways. So because of this, you have not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You've not received the Holy Spirit that says, you are not enough. Try harder. We don't need to be afraid. Now, the apostles talked about themselves as servants or slaves of Christ because we give everything and we follow him. But we're not fearful servants. Listen to what Paul says. Instead, you received God's Spirit, God's very Spirit, what the Old Testament priests, prophets, people longed for you have at the moment of belief, when he, what, adopted you as his children. Now we call him up. We can go to God anytime and say, Dad, I'm struggling Dad, thank you for what you're doing. Dad, I don't know what to do. Dad, I, I, I need some guidance. Dad, I need strength. I need power to overcome this. Dad, I, I don't know what to do. We can crawl up in the lap of not buddy Jesus, but of a holy God who loves us intimately and puts us in a family where it's not just me. It's us. And we as a church family are Adopted as children so we can cry out, we can depend, we can worship. It's not about religion and rules and church services and giving enough or doing or being enough. As we become more like Jesus, we realize we're in a family of others who help us do that too. That's why we say people helping people follow Jesus. We're just trying to do what God wants us to do. And until we really understand the family we've been adopted into, your faith journey will be stinted, will be difficult, because it's still all you can do on your own. Father God, Daddy, planned you, knows you, loves you in your sin. Jesus came and died and rose again so that resurrection life might free you not only from sin, and so I don't all do all this bad stuff. Most people think that's what church is about and Christianity. No, no. He's freeing you to be 
his son, his daughter. Regardless of what you experienced when you grew up from your father or lack of father, regardless of how you understand yourself as a daughter or son, a man or a woman, we've got incredible pain. And our Heavenly Father, our Dad, just welcomes us come accepted as we are. Not because of anything we've done, but because he takes us where we are, redeems us, and he loves us so much, he's not going to leave us there. Verse 16, Paul continues, For his spirit joins with our spirit. Our natures change because we are united with Christ. Our spirit, our very nature, our very identity is intermingled with God's. We are not little gods. We are not small messiahs, but we are his. And he affirms that we're God's children. The, the moment you're condemned, early in chapter 8, Paul talks about the way the enemy condemns you. So you're a child, you're a daughter, you're a princess, you're a prince of the king, and you're living this way, I condemn you. And we come against ourselves that way. But as we're growing, he affirms that we're his child, and he reminds us that we're his. And that kindness causes repentance more than judgmentalism, more than condemnation, more than hellfire and brimstone. You're welcomed into this relationship where you can heal and become whole. And he finishes in verse 17 by saying, and since, so because of all that, and since we are God's children, guess what? This is insane. We are his children. We are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we're to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. In that day and age, the firstborn, and throughout the Bible you see this, the inheritance of the firstborn son is important. There's all sorts of theological theological significance of Jesus being the firstborn son, first raised back to life, all that. But know this, that the firstborn son got more inheritance because the firstborn son was to carry the name of the father and to carry on the legacy and household and care for everyone. It was important. And Jesus has all that. And we're adopted not into a family where the firstborn son has it all and we get little pieces. We get an equal share. Not because we deserve it, but because God, our dad, loves us. What does that mean? We're not messiahs. We're not little Jesus. Well, the term Christian means a little Christ. So people should see us representing Christ well. Eternal life. Authority over sin and Satan. New life. Freedom. Hope. Fruit of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts operating out of an identity, an intimate relationship with God, with Dad. All that Jesus has, he's given to us. His very righteousness, when God looks at you, God does not see your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ clothing you because you're made in his image and because you've received his plan of salvation. You've received his son, you've received new life. We have all that. But in order to receive it, in order to live it, we'll have suffering. What does that mean? It's this death and resurrection. 
there's suffering when we put things to death in our life that are ruining us that sometimes we love. Right? Let's be honest. We wouldn't cling to sinful things unless it did something for us. You know what sin is? Sin is going after a good thing in a godless way, in a way contrary to what God wants. And so he gives us this opportunity. And so I'm going to come full circle back to Colossians. Let's read 7 to 10 again, chapter 3. So you used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time. Get rid of these things. Anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language, all those things that you've learned, the sinful patterns, behaviors, attitudes, thoughts, beliefs that are apart from God. They're not good for you. They're not good for anyone else. He has something better for you. Don't lie to each other. That's why we need to learn to operate differently with one another. For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know Creator, your Creator, and become like Him. As you learn to know Jesus. The, the world is created through Jesus. He holds it all together in His power. Colossians elsewhere says that. What about this uh, taking off and putting on? This, is, this confuses some people. Because it talks about take off your old nature, put on your new nature. And elsewhere in Romans, Paul talks about this fight, this internal fight he's got against his sinful nature and his spiritual nature. And some people believe that, well, I can, I can put on my old sinful nature and, and, or, you know, take it off, or I can put on my new spiritual nature, my godly nature, my calledness as a son of uh, the Most High, and I'll put it off depending on my behavior. God doesn't Look at us depending on our behavior. You can't change someone's nature. We, we can't do that. But God can. So for those who are in Christ, our nature has already changed. That's why he's using the terminology of take off and put on. It's things that form around who we are that we think are a part of ourselves that we need to take off. Patterns of belief, patterns of behavior, ways we look at ourselves, things we've learned, things we don't even see, and eventually God reveals. Why is it that we're not just made perfect the moment we believe? Why didn't God just get on with it? If he does the work of transformation anyway, why is he waiting for me to catch up? Because we couldn't handle it. If, if we experience all the holiness of God, all the grace, all the mercy for him to rid us of everything without process, it would ruin and kill us. We can't handle that. But he's gracious. And he's loving. And so Paul says, and God is saying, Dad is saying, look, t take off this thing. It doesn't fit you anymore. It's not who you are. Put, put on. Learn. And this process of transformation goes from putting something on that feels a little, this is weird, what, what do you mean forgive my enemies? What do you mean be gracious? What do you mean be generous? I'm not used to this. So at times we, we have to force ourselves to do this, to take off and to put on. But as we become more like Christ, that thing that's so difficult, that thing that feels so unnatural, becomes our character. Character is what you do by default. And we already have the character of Christ. We simply need to learn to live in it. That's the process of transformation. That's why we value transformation at Country Hills. And so we could say it something like this. 
Jesus takes us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us there in our sin. So we should do the same. That's where the sense of new identity and new family come together. If Jesus loves us enough to take us and welcome us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us there, because if all we do is welcome people and say, hey, you're good, you know, come with all your brokenness and all this stuff, you're good. We miss what God wants to do in and through one another. Do you know that you have an important part in the lives of others? Sometimes God chooses to speak through you into the life of another. And if we don't value transformation, if we, if we are too callous and too polite to see someone making a mess and train wreck of their life, and we kind of back off in a Canadian polite way, I'm not talking about condemning and judgment and you know the typical stuff that people see in church with hypocrisy and all the problems they have with church. I'm talking about deep love, transformational love that we first experience from our dad. And as we come to grips with how sinful we've been and how broken we are and how good he is, we have that grace to pour out on others. Next week we'll look at more at grace. Grace and transformation are inseparable. And we're never done. We're never done. Not because God hates us, but because we live in a sinful world. We're never done. We're always in process. Stephanie and I had the blessing of being at a, a pastor's and spouse's retreat with just a handful of others this week uh, from a ministry we'd never heard of called LL. They're up kind of Ottawa way at a retreat center, and another pastoral colleague let me know about it this spring, and so we thought, we'll go. And... You know, we can use some growth and restoration too. I'm not done. Like, God's not done with me. But if I say to God, thanks for what you've done, I've grown and I'm complete. There's no more to be done. What, what, what kind of a son would I be? I wouldn't reflect the Father very well. And God was able this week to dig into some places in my life I didn't even recognize. To, to help us as a couple and as individuals to come back here with a, with a renewed sense of, of calling and, and working some things in who I am as pastor and husband and dad and son of the Most High. So what I ask you this morning is simple to have an open heart and an open life. Sometimes I try and ha have a more uh, memorable kind of bottom line or what I want to send you home. I couldn't find anything. It just wouldn't come to me. So here's what I invite you into. W would you go to your father, dad, with an open heart and open life every day, every season, every year and ask him, what do you see? Who am I? What do you need me to put away? What do you need me to put on? And I'm confident that as you do, day by day, season by season, year by year, in your relationship with God, and as you invite others to speak into your life, what a scary, scary thing. <laughs> I am confident that day by day, season by season, 
year by year, you will be more like Jesus. And you will experience all he has for you as a blessed daughter, as a chosen son. And there'll be no turning back. Do you have a hard heart towards God this morning? Or maybe you've never believed in Jesus. Maybe you've never received forgiveness. Never, never decided to follow him. I encourage you to do that. The best advice I ever got was from uh, the president of my Bible college, Tom Dow. When he was explaining what it's like to follow Jesus, he said, you know, I, I can't describe to you what it's like to swim in my neighbor's pool. But I can ask you to jump in. God is good. And he's not done with you. And if you're saying, I'm not good enough, you're right. But it's not up to you to be good enough. You've been declared good enough by what Jesus has done. And now he's working to help you learn to live in who you already are. If you say, I'm good... I encourage you, take the defenses down, open your life up to God, open your life up to others, and allow him to do the deep work you're probably afraid for him to do. Because he's good and he's loving. We value transformation. Because transformation is the grace of God actively at work in us. As we help one another to become Jesus in our attitudes, in our behavior, and in our defaults, our character. And as we do, we experience spiritual renewal day by day, season by season, year by year. And he invites you to it. He's a good father. He won't make you, but he invites you. And as you receive his invitation, and you open your heart and you open your life, you're made new. Every day. And it's good. Would you soften your heart? Would you open your life to the transformative work of the gospel through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit in relationship with the Heavenly Father who looks on you with favor? Would you stand with me as we pray this morning?